0: This is Earth Safety Valve. In this podcast episode, you are going to learn and explore this beautiful planet. Be with us because we love Earth and Earthlings. Hello everyone, myself Uzma Seher. I am a member at Earth Safety Valve. On this occasion of World Oceans Day, we would firstly let you know why Oceans Day is celebrated. The concept of World Oceans Day was first proposed in 1992 at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro as a way to celebrate our world's shared ocean and our personal connection to the sea, as well as to raise awareness about the crucial role the ocean plays in our lives and the important ways people can help protect it. The purpose of the day is to inform the public of the impact of human actions on the ocean develop a worldwide movement of citizens for the sustainable management of the world's oceans and today on this podcast we have our guest who will enlighten all of us about her experience and journey with oceans and alongside her personal career and preferences so i would like to invite Ms. Shradha Nair. radha Nair is a pre- Professional energy and climate policy consultant with over four years of work experience in creating growth strategies, managing projects and clients internationally. She is in depth in the field of finance and economics, business strategy, etc. She is also volunteering as an energy policy advisor within Yongo Energy WG and Policy Director at Young Women in Sustainable Development. So let's begin. Ma'am, over to you.
1: Hi, Usma, Thanks so much for having me here. Um, Just to give a little bit background about myself, I started uh, out my career in electrical engineering, which is totally different from um, this whole concept of energy and climate. And uh, I decided to switch over to this an amazing, you know, sustainable development goals, career option. Um, Because the space is what is very important right now in terms of um, not just restoring our nature, or our environment, but also in terms of um, fulfilling to the goals of being a just transition economy. And um, yeah, and then I was working, I was back in, I was based in India earlier on, and I was working there for a couple of years within similar space. And then I moved over to the UK for my master's in economics and policy of energy and climate change. That is where uh, I was able to dig a little bit more deeper in terms of um, where us as um, a community, as a global community, particularly youth uh, have the, ideation and the innovation to change things um in a much more um, economical and also environmentally friendly way um and since then i've been involved with a couple of organizations uh, particularly yungo like you mentioned earlier on that was a lovely introduction thank you uh yeah so i was i'm also involved in the ocean's voice working group and that is that is key because um as a climate policy consultant I feel that a lot of the advocacy work that young people do these days, going out to conferences and um, being able to negotiate, all these are based off of the policies that we as young people also develop. So a key aspect to uh, achieving this whole biodiversity net gain is through um, effective and stringent policies that Mm -hmm. would uh, reduce commercialization and such.
0: So, how do you feel being a part of, uh, you know, like helping nature and providing some details about that?
1: Um, it's it's a whole different aspect because in my professional life, I work as a consultant um, in the net zero space, which is not just about um, a biodiversity or marine conservation. It is a very holistic approach to attaining net zero. For each of the countries, by each of the organizations by 2030 or 2050, based on their goals. And it is key that um, sustainability is embedded into these roadmaps that we are building um, for communities to achieve that net zero transition. And a, part, a key part of that roadmap is also biodiversity net gain. So it helps me in giving, uh, or I should say, it helps me more in getting a deep insight. Uh, in terms of how we can use, when we are going ahead and reducing carbon emissions, we are also trying to offset them. And I know that there has been a lot of um, uh, buzz about using carbon off- carbon offsets in a very poor fashion by organizations. Um, but I feel that carbon offsets through biodiversity net gain is a key role uh, into restoration of um, the lost. Um, marine ecosystem or the land ecosystem um, whether or not f- from a commercial perspective this looks like a whole other a whole new business space for people to just s- slap on the um, idea of having a carbon offset and then use all this name for them for their companies so that they can show that they are offsetting the emissions that they are creating uh, a new different space is that we need those offsetting um, policies and that should be a little bit more stringent so that people are not just using those credits to show on their sustainability reports, they're actually using those credits in a win-win situation where they're also restoring the ecosystem, uh, natural ecosystem. And it feels good to be able to, uh, from a youth perspective, when I'm not in my professional space and working voluntarily on uh, towards other organization goals. I feel that being a policy director or a policy advisor, I'm able to shape the minds of young people, just like myself who are writing these policies or who know the current situation of the existing policies, what are the loopholes and what as as individuals uh, have the power to influence the policy decision makers. And I think that's, that's that's a great experience because you get to see the world or the same world from two different lenses and it's just um it's just easier to bridge that gap in terms of uh, environmentalists and economists all together
0: yeah that's really good and uh, we would like to know about your journey and what motivated you to choose sustainable development like uh, because your background is somewhere like uh, business economics and all of that so what motivated you to take sustainable development
1: that that is a deep life changing question <laughs> i think everybody choosing their career in this phase right now is just like ah. yeah that's where the whole world is going towards but um i think to answer your question um back back when this whole uh, i would i think it was 2012 when we were in a weird phase you know where everyone thought the world was going to end and there was a whole buzz around it i think around at that time um even if it is if it was just for a joke to you know follow the news and stuff i think i happened to listen to david attenborough i'm sure everybody who's in the climate change space must have heard about him (laughs) he he was the one who was. I think he was there on the National Geographic channels. I'm not sure. Uh, I listened to him talk about climate change, and I was like, "This is is this real?" And then that is what sparked my interest. I think 10, 15 years ago, and that is that is a whole different. Um, you know, it just influences young minds, younger minds, in a different way when they listen to people talk about concepts that are not the buzz keyword at that time. So in 2012, climate change was not the concept was just building out and people people were starting to believe all this. It was it was very difficult to get people onto the side. I think that's where it sparked my interest. And although I made a lot of different career choices after that, um, based on my interest and everything, I feel that that was always there in the back of my head, and uh, I think in 2016 or 15, uh, when we had our COP21 Paris Agreement, mm-hmm. I was involved in Coi15 at that time, Coi11 I think, and it was that was my first experience being part of the Conference of Youth, and it was mind it was like mind blowing I should say, and I was able to see so many young activists talking about environment, talking about climate change, talking about the need for clean energy. And I think solar and wind were just upcoming at that moment. Uh, A lot of communities had adopted that because it was a cheaper mode of getting electricity, particularly in um, decentralized networks, grids over the globe. And then After that, I switched. I mean, I was involved in electrical engineering, a four-year whole degree course, and renewable energy was one of my um, key subjects in it. And that definitely sparked another set of, you know, (laughs) triggered another set of interest. So, I think eventually, as I advanced in my career, as I started working, got a nine-to-five job, all then I when you do all those things, you also want to involve yourself in other aspects you just don't want to sit and do a job all the day Uh, that's when i started looking up for organizations which are uh, you know looking for volunteers and such and then of course i got this uh, amazing opportunity to do my master so i was like this is it um there's no one point, point you know there's no one point in my life that i can pinpoint and be like oh yeah no that's that's what uh triggered me but yeah
0: that's really inspiring. It's just that, like, uh, people tell you do nine to five jobs, and you know you settle up, and then that's fine. But still, you you're doing your nine to five, also providing something towards the nature. It's it's really great.
1: It's it's interesting you said that because. I- that's nothing wrong if people want to just do the 95 job i know a lot of people who are perfectly happy doing that and they are content with the thing they are uh, and which is which is a great you know work life balance people can build mm-hmm. um but i feel that there are a lot of things that within this space particularly in this whole climate change and energy space that you miss out on if you're not um not involved if you don't have your foot in a couple of boats not at the same time but in a very effective way you know what i mean yeah because like i said what i do in my professional life is a holistic approach towards sustainability but then the stuff i do um voluntarily for other organizations that is a whole different aspect on how to approach for example i'm working as a policy and partnerships director at Young Women in Sustainable Development. That is a women-led organization. So apart from the fact that we are focused on all the SDGs, um, while we are working on different policy briefs or policy documents, a touch of hint towards all those SDGs is uh, gender equality, which is SDG 5. And that is a, that's a different lens altogether, because no matter which sustainable development goal, you're focusing on a hint of that is definitely going to be gender equality, no matter what gender you are. A part of that definitely has to go towards, you know, focusing on SDG five, because you want transition. And that is something you will not get. I mean, when you work in an organization, you understand yeah, diversity inclusion. But when you actually come to Organization and you do the research on why that diversity and inclusion is needed. That is when you're able to connect both the bridge. So I think that's a that's a whole different experience.
0: Okay. So as you mentioned about the research and all of that, can you just give a glimpse of some of the research which you have done and you really loved it?
1: Um, so currently we are working on releasing a policy document, uh, not revealing much details <laughs> yeah. uh, at young, young Women in Sustainable Development uh, in the next couple of weeks, um, mostly around the time of you know having a whole biodiversity and uh, marine conservation, Ocean Day. Um, okay. Part of that research was um, about two, well, I'll put it in two ways. First, one of the research was definitely uh, in terms of what are the challenges that the ocean space is facing at the moment or the land ecosystem is facing at the moment, you know, all the different uh, issues that we have learned since we were in, in the seventh or eighth grade uh, in the e- environmental, uh, what is that subject? Environment, environmental science,
0: environment study. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. So all those issues that we studied as a, as a young child during our former years of education, That is not that still exists, and we have policies in place to reduce those particular issues. But I feel that those policies still have loopholes because that is human nature to find loopholes in laws, and we do that as as normal human beings in everyday life. You know. so I feel that when we are writing policies towards this, that part of it, that particular research is really, really in-depth. Because uh, once you start digging into the information that you want on a particular topic, it is very easy to get lost. Because A, there is so much information out there on the internet these days, you can easily get lost. And B, it's just very hard to streamline what you're looking for, particularly when you're writing policies. You you need to stop at certain point so i think that is a skill particularly policy analysts or anybody who's working um or doing getting a higher education degree writing research papers would understand that that's a key skill to have when you're doing research so i think that's something i enjoyed developing over the years
0: that's really great and uh, this like you mentioned about the challenges in exploring oceans so uh, could you just specify some of the most you know like uh, there's there's the thing like exploring oceans is like a deadliest task so so far can you just tell that uh, how many deadliest challenges were there or is it really
1: deadliest to do all of those things um Yes and no is my is my answer because when you are trying to um, when you look at it from an ocean's perspective um, I'm particularly a marine conservationist I love being around ocean creatures um, and I, I'm sure a lot of people must have watched this documentary called Seaspiracy on Netflix yeah. which was mind-changing mind, like was like absolutely mind-boggling for me because um maybe it's, it was just a small part in me who has always been a marine conservationist but that particular um one hour session or documentary was able to you know trigger certain aspects in the back of my head and i stopped eating fish uh i my you know my friends family some of them really eat fish and and, and i'm okay with that because it's their personal personal choice i can afford inflict upon my opinions or my decision life decisions on anyone else but i feel that um then you know one of my friends was like great there are nine billion people on the planet if you stop eating fish obviously it going not make a difference it's not maybe it won't make a difference but if every if half of the population or at least one third of the population is able to realize this and they stop eating fish it's a pure economic scheme you know when you go out into the ocean there are fishermen who do this job for us nowadays you get tuna cans uh you know those tuna cans the cans that come in sardines those tin cans you have a small label which says it's sustainably sourced it's not just for oceans it's also for land ecosystem when you look go and buy palm oils and some Mm -hmm. stuff like that there are a lot of regulations in place and intergovernmental bodies in place that overlook the sustainable fishing or the sustainable sourcing of things from the environment how much of that is true is something the people who work there can figure out but this is not just about us commercializing fisheries it is also about livelihood these fishermen who go out there catfish fish or like um, they bring that amount of load into uh, you know the dockyards and stuff they are getting paid a minimal wage they are not being treated well so if they have to go out of the way to you know source fish unsustainably i do not think we are in a position to blame them because the whole system Everybody is a part of that system. The consumer, the, uh, the producer, the person who fishes and goes out into the ocean. Um, but I think somewhere in between finding that balance within policies is very important because mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's deadly to do this job. But um, first of all, 70% of our earth is just water. Wow. And there are many, many parts of the ocean that we have not ventured. And I think it is good we have not ventured at this point, because as far as human humans have a reach, mm-hmm. they will try to get stuff out of nature. Mm-hmm. If, you, if there's a part in the world where people have not reached, I think let it be that way, because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be beautiful in its own way. Mm-hmm. But um, this population is increasing every day. Mm-hmm. By minute, there are millions of kids born. Yes. And when population increases, you have to the, the demand increases, whether it's for uh, shampoos or whether mm-hmm. it's for food, whether it's for the um, anything, the demand is it's definitely to increase. Uh-huh. Yeah. When we talk about demand, that means you also need enough mm-hmm. supply to yeah. yeah, it's a pure economics game and you look at it from that perspective. And mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. economics comes finance, comes business. And then comes this whole environmental and social uh, aspect uh-huh. of it.
0: It's like so, a that attached to one and the other.
1: But yeah, precisely. So I think uh, you cannot have a policy that is going to make everybody happy. Yeah. Somebody has to give up certain aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Same is with the price of carbon at the moment. If, you, yeah. if I have to end up paying the price of carbon, that means I will... Today I'm not um happy with it but tomorrow i will have a safer environment and everything we'll have much more stringent technologies to you know support the transition same is with marine conservation today if the prices of fish go up certain communities will stop eating
0: yeah. or they will
1: start producing they'll start working more in order to get uh you know, more money and so that they can feed the people that means if they start working more, they'll be more productive, which means it is good for the economy of the nation, it's good for their own economy within their household. And if there's more money flowing in the um, environment, the, you know, ecosystem, economical ecosystem of the nation, that means they'll be able to put that money back into restoring biodiversity. Unless somebody tries to, you know, eat that money up in between, then it's gone. But that is, so this is just like a very political imbalance also mm-hmm. when you come to geopolitical particularly. Uh, but yeah, it's a very complicated question you asked there.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, let's have a last question for you. So it's like, if you could leave us with the advice. What would you like to add so that it will help the younger generations to, you know, like make the better use of marine diversity and protect marine Mah- biodiversity?
1: I would say anybody who has not gone to the beach, go yeah. to the beach. Okay. I, that is my recommendation to every young person. If you have never been to a beach, go to a beach, take in all that beauty, even on a bad for the day and the ocean looks beautiful. If you are not in a position to go on a cruise, you can still sit by the ocean and actually enjoy that beauty. You see, you go for a beach cleanup, Mm. start small things that you can do for free that you don't need a lot of investment in. Because I absolutely understand that you're, not everybody is in a position to, you know, start their own organization or like go and, you know go for very expensive conferences and talk about all of this stuff some people just need to do a very simple job to actually get into that thing from a marine conservationist i would say i wouldn't say stop eating fish that is not going to solve all the problems in the world because you need to have a healthy ecosystem a part of that is also us being on the top of the food chain you cannot you cannot just like stop um you cannot eradicate or disrupt the food chain uh, because that is how nature is, has built itself. We evolved, and a part of nature's plan was also that the highest intelligent creature, that would be humans, would make use of the fact that this food chain continues. But when that food chain gets disrupted, is when one element of that food chain or one level of that food chain tries to act smart. So as younger generation, as young people, if you want to get into marine conservation or any kind of, you know, uh, biodiversity conservation, make sure that you are responsibly um, y- making use of the ecosystem and that food chain rather than you know, trying to act smart and like make business out of it. And from a business, because I also work from a business perspective, I understand that money is where everything comes into picture. But a part of that is also social responsibility. A part of that is also environment responsibility. So as young people, you have that power to find that balance that our elder generation, our older generation people right now could not find a sweet balance in. If you are able to bring in that balance within um, making money, but also saving the environment or also restoring the environment i mean there is what saving the environment is a frugal word right now mm-hmm. restoring the environment that balance is what as younger generation we can bring a change that's the only change we can bring at the moment shift the balance so that both parties are happy
0: uh, that's that's really great and uh... Thank you so much for joining us and, you know, bringing out your interest and ideas to educate our audience. We really appreciate your time and everything. Thank you so much, Radha